Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Hey, before we get started, click on over to entrearchitect.com slash meetup and reserve your free ticket for our annual live event celebrating the small firm architect community. That's entrearchitect.com slash meetup. Go there now, and I'll see you in Las Vegas. My name is Mark R. LePage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 271, and I'm with business development strategist Julie Brown, and we're talking about how to build your network by creating meaningful, lasting relationships. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and much more at RCAT.com, FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure, Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. And Young Architect Conference, the architecture conference dedicated to the emerging professional. Julie Brown, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Yeah, this is going to be fun. This is a topic that I think our community... Uh, is, is I know they're very interested in it. This is something that I think that many of us need and some of us probably struggle with. So this is going to be a great conversation. But before we get into that conversation, I want to introduce you. Um, Julie is a trusted, nimble, and inventive business strategist. Her knack for connecting people has created a proven track record for establishing new client relationships that last. 
Her constant, constant connection to clients and contemporaries through tight relationships informs her market intelligence, and she's active in many associations, previously serving on industry boards and committees, and she's uh, been a speaker at conferences, presenting on the importance of business development, networking, and relationships. That's what we're going to get into today. So, she, uh, Julie, I shared a little bit about you there in the intro. I'd love for you to sort of tell us your origin story. Go back to where you discovered this passion for what you're doing today sure. and tell us that story from, from that point to where you are today. Okay. So like most business development experts, I started out with a bachelor's in biology and, <laughs> and did nothing. Yes, with. I heard that. I heard that's where most of them come from. <laughs> that's how we all start. Um, I did also have a minor in business administration. So right out of college uh, in 1998, I accepted a job as a marketing admin and worked my way up through the industry. So I was a marketing admin at an engineering firm and then was there for about three years and left to go to a major international architecture firm where I was the marketing coordinator. So that was back in 2001. I took that job. And from there went to another architecture firm as the marketing manager. And then kind of went through the paces, was graduated to director of marketing. And within that role, director of marketing, I was also asked to start doing business development. And this was in 2005. And that's where I really started understanding the, uh, the power of meeting people, going to conferences, building relationships, how leads came into a business. From up until that point, I'd always been on the back end. I was working on proposals. So I was very reactive. I wasn't proactive in bringing in work. So in 2005, I started doing business development and just absolutely fell in love with it. I fell in love with the people that I was building relationships with as far as my contemporaries, but also fell in love with the people I was connecting with that were my potential clients. And I think it was because I love to build relationships. I'm authentic in the way that I talk to people. I talk about things that aren't just business related. Um, in 2010, I had been doing business development at that point now for so five years. That was also the time that my husband decided, my husband's an architect, residential architect, and it had been his goal and his dream that when he turned 35, he would leave his job and start his own business. Now, everybody remembers the perils of 2008, 2009, and 2010. Yes, I know it well. And so we were still facing about 55% unemployment for architects. And But we had had a plan. We had been planning this for two years for him to quit his job, to go out on his own. And I basically said, if we can do it now, we'll, we'll never have a problem. If we can make it right now, we're good. We're golden. So I said, you, you take care of all the administrative parts of, be, of starting a company, you know, incorporation and all the admin stuff and the insurance and, oh, I don't know, being a talented architect. And I will take on bringing in the business because that was what I knew. Yeah, that makes That's a good team. Yeah. So, but this was a market I'd never been exposed to, even though we'd been together at that point, we'd been married for six years at that point and been together for, um, 10 years at that point. I didn't know the residential market. Yeah. I was very working, different than, than what you were doing. Exactly. So I was working in firms of 250 people going after international academic architecture. That was my jam. That's what I knew. 
And so being faced with, oh, now I'm, I'm, I told someone that I would bring in all this residential work. I, I panicked and I started calling all of my friends in the industry, even people who had never met Chris saying, Hey, Oh, by the by, you know, great time to start a company, an architecture company. And everybody responded. And within, you know, within a day of me making those phone calls, Chris hadn't even like incorporated yet. And we had, we had business and that was the turning point for me where I was like, how did this happen? How did I build a business for my husband? How did I bring in all of this work when I didn't have connections in the residential market? And that's when it really dawned on me. It doesn't even matter what market you're in. It's the strength of your relationships. And then I started thinking to myself, well, how did I build these relationships? Like, what have I been doing over the past uh, you know, 11 years to build such wonderful relationships where when I say I have an ask, they say I have a give, you know, so that was really how I started thinking about, wow, I wonder if other people could benefit from the tools and the structure I have created around relationship building in a business setting. Yeah. Well, I want to, and I want to get into that and I want to get into the sort of going back 11 years and, and sort of unpeeling that a little bit, but I want to even go back further than that okay. about you, because, yeah. you know, we've been talking a little bit about here and you and you just gave us a story about how Chris's business started. Mm-hmm. What was it in you, you know, sort of going back and you can, you know, answer this any way you want to go, but, you know, sort of you as a person, even as a child, was this sort of a natural knack that you had, or is it something that you developed over time? I think, okay, I think there's two answers to that question. I was always very outgoing and animated and gregarious. I don't think that means I was good at building relationships. I just think that means I'm good at being in front of people. So just because you're good at being in front of people and you're good at performing in any capacity doesn't mean you're really good at the things that happen behind the scenes. So going to a networking event is being in front of people, but the follow-up and the relationship building is not done in front of people. So you have to be really good at that. So I think I was very good at the initial piece of, I'm not afraid of approaching people. Yeah. And I that's fear and that's no the, other. I know. I fear nobody at a networking event. Like, and I that's like the things. first step, right? I mean, it's sort yeah. of of getting yourself in front of those yeah. people. But I don't think I was necessarily great at the steps it takes to foster a relationship. It wasn't until, and this sounds weird, but it wasn't until I started working with databases and started understanding the power of historical data and market intelligence that I was like, oh, I'm going to tap that all back into the people that I met and use that as my avenue to build these relationships. Um, so yes, I was always, you know, the person in front of people and not afraid of people, but it, it, it took a little bit of learning to say, well, just because you meet somebody once doesn't mean you have a relationship with that person. You really do have to work on it and foster it and, and take care of that relationship. I always say, you know, the day you plant the seed isn't the day you eat the fruit. And so many people are focused on the day you plant the seed, that like initial networking event and don't realize how much nurture and care it takes to actually have a harvest at the end. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. So let, let's go through the the process because I have a I have a, a hundred questions and, we, and they're and they're all going to derail <laughs> like the conversation. <laughs> and so I, I want to make sure that we we sort of get the process down because yeah. I, I, that's what I think people need most. Yeah. And we'll we'll talk about the details as we move along. Yeah. So why don't why don't we sort of go back to to where you know it starts? You know mm-hmm. what what what's the first step if somebody sort of is let's say somebody's starting a new practice like Chris yeah. was eleven years ago. Yeah. And and they're listening and they're saying, well, I have this company. I'm going to build this company, but I don't have work. And I know there's a lot of people in the Entree Architect community and in the membership who are exactly those people. They talk mm-hmm. to me every week about yeah. how do I find the work and make you know get get the jobs. Where do I get? How do I make those connections? Okay. So let's let's start with yeah. with the the process. Where do we start? Okay. So the one thing I don't think people understand about networking and business development is the the amount of research you have to do to know one, what room you should be in, where, mm. where you should be spending your networking time and two, who you should be talking to. So spending some real time analyzing who are the players in my market? Who are the people I'm supposed to be building relationships? Where are those people? What industry organizations should I join to have a seat at the table with the people that are um, the people that I'm supposed to meet within this community of, or within this industry? So I think the first thing you do is say, you know, what what market am I sitting in? What are the options for me for visibility, for involvement within industry groups? And then who are the other major players? Not the not necessarily your competition. It's always great to know your competition. But who are the other players? Who are the people I could potentially partner with? Who would be adversaries for me? And then do a deep level of research on those people to figure out how many levels of disconnect do I have from them? Like what's my Kevin Bacon number to them? And how, what do we have in common? You know, what do we have in common that I could use as a commonality to start building this relationship? And everybody talks about um, the fact that people do business with and refer business to people they know, like, and trust. So how do we get there? How do we get to know, like, and trust? Well, you have to know who you have to know, and then you have to know how you can connect with them on a personal level, not just a professional level. So that's step number one. If you don't do that step, how are you going to know where to spend your time? Because we all know, and I'm an entrepreneur too, so I know people say, what's the hardest thing about starting a business? And I say, time management. Like, I didn't realize how, how much time I would spend in the actual administrative tasks of running a business. And then adding on to that, like, oh, now you have to go out and bring in the business. Oh, and then you have to be an architect as well, you know? So understanding, do that piece for yourself. Understand who you're supposed to be build relationships with and what rooms you're supposed to be in. And then whenever I give speeches, I always say one of the most powerful things you can do for your networking practice is to list yourself because people go into a room and they go into a room and all they have on them is their name and their company. And their company is literally just a piece of what they do. So you're an architect or you're an engineer or you're a builder. But what about all the other things you've done in life? So we started off this conversation talking about we both rescue dogs and you know I'm married to an architect and I am a world traveler and most of my travels surround architecture because I'm married to an architect and I love food and I'm, I've taken 14 wine trips and I'm going to South Africa in September just to go on a wine trip. Well, I mean, there's been 
lions and elephants and stuff I'm going to see too. But all of these things, like what podcasts I listen to, like I am a true crime junkie. Like when I am doing administrative work, I am listening to a true crime podcast. Like what books are you reading? Like all of these other things, I want to increase the surface area. I want to give you power to increase the surface area of how you're going to connect with people. Because if you're just going at things in this very sort of narrow, I'm an architect, you're ignoring all the other ways in which you can build a relationship with somebody. So it sounds, and, it sounds like we not only need to do a lot of research on our market, and that's sort of just, just a reminder to those who are listening. Again, another reason for choosing a target market, one specific market that you serve, um, because it makes all this much easier. Yes. Right? If you're, you if you're serving- have that market in common. Exactly, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to serve- five different markets or 10 different markets because you want to be this generalist architect. Now you have to, you have to research 10 different audiences and seven different groups of people. So if you pick one and that doesn't mean you have to push away all the others, you just focus on the one, then you pick one and then you do the research on that. But it also sounds like, um, Julie, what we were, what you were just saying that we also have to do a little bit of research on ourselves and who we are and what we do and how we do it and sort of understand that process and be able to communicate that very clearly, um, what that list is on who we are and what we do that needs to be top of mind. Yeah. Being okay with having to, all right. So being okay, going into a networking event based off of whatever business you're in, being okay, going into that networking event and not talking about business. Because I guarantee if you go in and just talk about your business and what you need, you are not going to get anything back. People are not going to want to build relationships with you. When you go in with an authentic curiosity about the other people in that room and what you have in common and how you could connect, it makes follow-up so easy. People say to me, I never know how to write a follow-up email. And I said, because you didn't talk about anything that's interesting that you can say, hey, I loved this conversation we had last night made me think about this book I read or this thing I did or this place I've been. And having that way to send an email the next day is so much better than nice meeting you last night, like, and having absolutely no call to action at the end of that email. That is as good as not meeting somebody. It makes it easier for them to remember you as well. Exactly. Because you're the, you're the guy with the lake house. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. And people say to me, like, they all, like, I'm a marathon runner. They, uh, people always say to me, are you still running? Did you run Boston this year? Like, those little nuggets of who you are that people remember about you yeah. make it so easy for, one, for you to follow up, but for two, to people for people to remember you. And that's what we're getting at. We want to build relationships. We want people to remember us. When we reach out to someone and say, hey, we met and we had all these conversations, we want them to say, yeah, yeah, I remember. What can I do for you? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you said you need to do some research on your market. What are the types of things that we should be doing in order to sort of learn who these people are and what they do and what their interests are? Where do we go to do that? How do we do that? So it's the new millennium and everybody is Googleable. So I, I, st- I have a list of the places that I go to. So a lot of times I'll get an email that says, do you know so-and-so? And if I don't, the first thing I do is go to LinkedIn. And I go to LinkedIn for a couple of reasons, you know, to see who they are and where they've been, but also to see how many mutual connections we have. Yep. So there are some people on LinkedIn who we have 150 mutual connections. And I say to myself, well, why don't we know each other? If we know so many people in common, why don't we know each other? And then I already have an affinity for them. We have so many people in common. So I go to LinkedIn first and then I go to the company website to see if they have a bio. 
And I love companies that make people actually write something important about themselves, not just this is where I went to school and and this is what I've done in my career. Like, I want to know where'd you go to school? What have you done in your career? But, oh, do you have dogs and do you hike on the weekends and do you mountain bike? And I was on a potential client's website the other day and I was looking at a woman and she, in her bio, she said, I'm devoted to cheese. And I said, she's going to be my best friend. (laughs) I could never go vegan because I love cheese so much, like little personal things. So I go to the LinkedIn and then the company bio. And then that's when I start just blanket Googling them have, and I'll find if they've ever been published, if they've written an article or if they've been quoted in anywhere, I'll go to Instagram and put in their name. And sometimes people's Instagram uh, accounts are not locked. They're, they're public. And man, you can find out a lot out about a person with, with what they put on their Instagram feed. I do all of that. I do all of that research before I dare send an email or pick up the phone because I want to be so prepared for that yeah. conversation that it, it, it has no choice but to go in the, in a positive direction. Yeah. And it's not creepy. I don't say, hey, I stopped. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, I say, I will, if we have mutual connections, I'll call some of the mutual connections and say, hey, what do you know about John? I, I see we are mutually connected and what can you tell me about them? And so I'll use that. I'll say, I was talking to John. I mean, I was talking to so-and-so and, and he said, oh, you know, he said, oh, we've been best friends. We went to college together or whatever. And then I'll say, and I read your company bio. I just wanted to get some information on you before I reached out. And I just think we're going to be best friends. <laughs> Yeah. Company bios are important. And we just, we actually just last month we had actually no two months ago, we do a, an entree architect expert training session inside the membership at entree architect. And we had Zylia Burroughs from Charette venture group did an entire expert training session, a masterclass on writing a professional bio. Yes. And that's exactly what she said that it needs to yes. be all about, you know, the, the thing, the things that make you interesting. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Because if we're going to get to know, like, trust, and if we want people to actually be authentically curious about us, we have to give them something to be curious about or or want to learn more about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So we did the research. We know what we're, what, who, who we, so you said, you said, um, uh, the room and the people, what room yeah. are we going to be in and yeah. who are the people that are going to be in that room? And so you do that research. You have to be in the right room. You have to be yeah. in front of the right people because that's what your target market's important. Exactly. Because um, you can define who those people are. We'll be right back to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors, Arcat, FreshBooks, and Young Architect Conference. As you get ready for the AIA conference in Las Vegas, you don't have to gamble when it comes time to finding great product information. Don't take a chance with uploaded BIM files. Use RCAT's free library of families created by professionals. Why settle for generic or old CAD details when RCAT has up-to-date drawings of real products? Don't roll the dice with an old specification from yesteryear and hope that the products your project needs are still available. RCAT has a powerful search engine and free constantly updated information. That's at RCAT, RCAT, A-R-C-A-T dot com. Hey, and make sure that you check them out at their booth at the AIA conference in Las Vegas at booth 5735. 5735 and listen here at the Entree Architect podcast in the coming weeks for more information about a special event happening with Entree Architect at the RCAT booth on Friday, 
June 7th. Pop that into your calendar, Friday, June 7th in the afternoon. Check us out. We're going to be there. We'll give you more details in a, in a little while. You won't want to miss it. Write it down again. The booth is 5735 at the AIA conference under the big red A. Do you remember when you started your architecture firm? It was no small feat. It took many late nights and many early mornings. Bottom line, you've been insanely busy ever since. So why not make things a little bit easier now? Well, our friends at FreshBooks have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners like you. It's simple and it's intuitive and it keeps you way more organized than the dusty shoebox filled with crumpled receipts. Create and send professional looking invoices in 30 seconds and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. File expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part, FreshBooks grows alongside your business. So you'll always have the tools you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and outs of accounting. Join the 24 million people who've used FreshBooks. Try it for free today, 30 days, no catch, no credit card. Try it for free at entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. Are you an emerging architect? Do you want to failure-proof your career? then you will want to attend the Young Architects Conference on August 23rd through the 25th in Portland, Oregon. This conference, which was created by Young Architect founder Mike Rasika, is all about feeding your connection and knowledge necessary to truly succeed in architecture as a young architect. That means you'll learn the next most powerful steps you can take after receiving your license. You'll learn how to be a better leader, You'll learn how to build your brand, stand out in a competitive market, use social media, and grow a following. You'll also learn how you can leverage your talent and values to give back in the most meaningful way. You ready to save your spot? Space is limited, so grab it now. Visit entrearchitect.com slash youngarchitect. That's entrearchitect.com slash youngarchitect. And use our promo code entree, E-N-T-R-E, and you'll save $150 when you register. That's entrearchitect.com slash youngarchitect and use the promo code ENTREE. RCAT, FreshBooks, and Young Architect Conference. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So what do we do now that we know what rooms to be in and which people we need to be in front of, what do we do next? Well, now we have to execute. So we are thoroughly prepared to pick up the phone and ask for a meeting or go to a meeting or go to a networking event. So we're prepared to do that. And now we actually have to do it. So networking is a proactive approach to meeting people. Like a network is not going to build itself. If you sit in your office all day long, you are not going to meet anybody. So we have to actually make the time in our schedules, schedule the time, make networking a part of your job description. Mm -hmm. Because it is so important. And and I, I listened to your podcast with Stacey Brown Randall about the yeah. endless referrals yep. or how to get referrals without asking. And no one can refer you if they don't know you. So we have to get out there and meet people. So now 
say we're going to a networking event, which is like everybody hates going to networking events except for me. I love them. I love walking into a room of people I don't know because I'm like, I don't know anybody. I get to meet new people. So go into a networking event with a goal. Try to understand who's going to be there. Sometimes you can uh, email the administrators of the event, the facilitators of the event, and ask for an attendee list. I do that all the time because I want to know who's going. I want to do a little bit of research Mm -hmm. on the people who are there. It doesn't take too long. The the level of research I do is like maybe if there's 50 people, I can I can bang out that research in an hour. I can look at all their LinkedIn profiles and figure out how many connections we have. So going into that room with a goal. So maybe you don't know anybody in the room. Maybe you don't know who's going to be there. So just tell yourself, I'm going to have a goal of having two to three meaningful relationships. Meaningful being I'm going to listen actively to that other person. I'm going to understand how maybe I could offer help to them and understand how I could follow up with them and build a relationship. And once you've had two or three meaningful conversations, you're allowed to leave. You don't have to meet everybody in the room because we're if we're doing networking correctly and we're scheduling it in our calendar, we're going to be doing it week after week. So do it in manageable pieces. If you meet 15 people, you're number one, if you go to an event, you're there for an hour and a half and you meet 15 people, number one, you probably haven't had an interesting conversation with all 15 of those people. It's been a very superficial conversation. Two, that's a lot of follow-up. We have to manage our follow-up. We're running businesses at the same time as we're trying to build relationships. So if you meet two to three people, the next morning, you can actually get into your office the next morning and send a thoughtful follow-up email to each of those people. But if you meet 15 or 20, are you going to remember what you talked about? Are you going to remember who's a mountain biker and who likes wine and who has a cat named Tickles? You know, (laughs) it's like, so go at it. Yes, we, we are going to build relationships in a large network is important, but we can't buckshot it. We have to do it piece by piece and we have to do it authentically and with purpose. Yeah, that's that's so interesting because I think a lot of us think, OK, our goal is to get as many business cards in as many hands as possible. Exactly. And that's our goal, you know, just a and maximum it's, number. And it's I love diluted. I love that idea of, OK, my goal is to real relationships, somebody yeah. who knows me and I know them and I could follow up with them. And I've done yeah. that, done the, had that conversation with them. So I learned something about them that I could follow up with them with yeah. a specific uh, uh, topic or something like that. And then yeah. I hit those, hit that goal and I'm out. I can go yeah. back to work, go back to my architecture. I don't have to be there exactly. for the entire hour and a half. If I did that in a half hour, I could say, you know, nice to meet you guys. I'm off. I got things to do. See you yeah. later. And not have and to exactly. spend an hour and a half in a, at a conference or a, a a networking event that's, you know, eating bad, you know, eggs. <laughs> yeah. So think about it. So if we decided, if we said to ourselves, I am going to dedicate one night a week to a networking event. There are so many of them. You could, t- I'm out three nights a week. Like it's like a bit ridiculous, but I, I work for a lot of different clients. So I'm at all of the different market sector events. So if you said to yourself, I'm going to dedicate one night a week to networking events. And then you say per networking event, I'm going to, meet two to three new people per event. And that doesn't mean you can't reconnect at that event with people you have already met. It's a great time to reconnect and have FaceTime with people. But I'm going to meet two new people. At the end of a year, you have met 104 new people. That's a lot. 
So don't look at an event saying, I got to meet 10 people. Look at an event saying, I'm going to meet two this week. I'm going to manage that relationship thoughtfully. I'm going to build and foster that relationship thoughtfully. And the next week, I'm going to meet two more people. And it doesn't become a task that's overwhelming at that point. It becomes a very manageable, cyclical way of meeting new people and fostering relationships. Yeah, small, small victories. Yes, exactly. I And people say to me, how do you know everybody? And my first choking answer is, well, I'm old. I've been doing this for 20 <laughs> years. But the second answer is, I was very thoughtful about meeting new people, asking people in my network who they thought I should know. Once you build relationships with people, you are more, you are more than allowed to say, hey, who do you think I should meet? Who in your network do you think I should know? I'd love to meet someone that you, whose opinions you value. It's fine to do that too. Maybe you can't get to a networking event one week. Make a call and say, who do you think I should know? I get that call all of the time because people know how large my network is and how much I value the relationships in my network that I'm not going to connect to people that I don't think would be good connections for both of them. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 that 104 number is sticking in my head Yeah, that because that's 104 quality relationships. These are people who know you and you know them and that they can refer you and you can refer them and you can call them and they'll know who you are. If you collected 10 or 15 business cards and you put them in your contacts, okay, maybe you have, you know, a a few hundred new contacts, but you don't know any of them and they don't know you and you'll, and think about that. I mean, how many people in your contact list do you actually, you know, connect with almost none, but the relationships that you've built and if, and 104 people a year adding to your list of people that know you and you know them, that's really powerful. Yeah. And so with this comes the discussion and and we're not going to have this discussion because I think it's like a larger um, conversation about how to manage a database, but we'll come back. We'll have you come back and do that. Yeah. So One thing is, is when you only meet two people at a time, you can go into your database, whatever, whatever platform you choose to put a little bit of um, information about that person in. So the date that you met them, the event you were at, and a couple of things about what you talked about, and then have that database track your interactions. Like I can CC my database with all of my emails. And it gets put right into that person's file. So I know how many times we've talked. I know what we've talked about. I know the origin of our relationship, how we met, where mm. we met. So, and that's super powerful when, when sometimes you're like, you've lapsed a little bit because this happens. Life gets busy. You have an injury. Like I'm just getting off of an injury. So I was out of it for a bit, like three, four weeks. So there were some things that I was like, oh, you know, the couple of days before I dislocated my shoulder, I was at an event and then I was out of it for a little bit, but I went back to my database and I was like, Oh yeah, we talked about that and that and that. And I can respond and say, Hey, I'm sorry. I've been MAA by the way, I've been in a sling for a month. <laughs> you know? So the database is super powerful as far as I'm going to go back to having historical data. Like it's not just data on people, it's data on the market, it's data on the how your relationship has progressed. The data is the king when it comes to networking and business development. And I think that's what people don't understand is how much of this is data driven. It's not just being a gregarious individual who can walk into a room where they don't know anybody. I want to have you come back if you're interested and talk specifically about customer relationship management. and. and and or client, whatever you want to call it, but the CRM, but that's, that's a question that people ask 
every week in mm-hmm. the in the community. You know, does does anybody know good software? And I want to talk about the software, different options of the software. Yeah. Um, but even more so, what do you put in it? How do you put in it? Sure. What's the data that should go in it? it? How do you use it? How do you maximize it and leverage it? Yeah. I would love to have that conversation with you if you're interested yeah. to come back and do that. I had a boss who always used to say databases are garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. If you don't um, populate the database with the information that you need to help you, just don't even use it. You know, it's just at that point, it's just sitting there doing nothing and causing you stress. Because you're looking at it saying, oh, I should be using this database. <laughs> exactly. So where does, that, where does that data fit in? So we talked about the room and the people. And we talked about setting a goal and, and being, you know, hitting those, that goal. You're gathering information, which is data, in, mm-hmm. in those communications, in those contacts. Um, so we're in, we're, is that the next step? Is you, have, you hit that goal, you go back to your office, input the information into some sort of management yeah. tool, whether it's yeah. a spreadsheet or a specific CRM software. Yeah. So that's the next step is to sort of do that. Is that what yeah. you, you well, would so do? The next step. So you meet somebody at an event yeah. and you have a thoughtful rela- conversation with them. You put that information in your CR- CRM database. And I always say within 24 hours, send them a follow-up email because what is the use of meeting people once? You know, we're building relationships here. So send a follow-up email within 24 hours with a call to action. Like, I so enjoyed our conversation last night. It was wonderful talking about this and learning about that. I would love to get together sometime in the next two to three weeks over coffee, just learn more about your business and maybe how we could help each other. That's it. And then give them some dates. Don't just say, I want to meet over the next two to three weeks because they'll write back and they'll be like, sounds good. And then you, then the call to action is lost. Yeah. Or even one date, one date, one time. Are you available next Thursday at 10 a.m.? Because they might say yes and then you're done. Yeah. And if they're not, then they'll throw back a date and time yep. that'll adjust and you could, it'll go much yeah. faster. And that meeting, that meeting is the real catapult for that relationship. The meet, the first meeting at the networking event is not, that's like the nucleus of building a relationship. You have to like add the rings to it, you know? So the next thing is the call to action with the email setting a face to face, going to that face to face and start really building that relationship. And then having a way to remind yourself that, okay, I'm building a relationship with this person. I'm going to make sure that I'm back in touch with them every, you know, eight weeks, 12 weeks, so that I don't lose this connection with the person. Follow them on LinkedIn, you know, follow what they put on LinkedIn, comment on them. You don't have to always be in front of somebody to be building a relationship with them. I don't, like the fact that a lot of people think they have friends and connections over social media. Those aren't real. But if it's a piece of your mm-hmm. real relationship, if you've met that person face to face and multiple times, having a little bit of interaction with them on a social platform, it it does help the relationship. It does help them understand that you are following them. You're interested in their content. You're commenting on their content. It's it's just it's good practice to always have multiple ways of touching that came out wrong, <laughs> multiple ways of connecting <laughs> yeah. with a person and, and their thoughts, you know, and, and what they're putting out there into the marketplace. So yeah. Yeah. Touch points. I mean, is, yeah. do you, do you set specific goals for that or is it just sort of a, you know, these are the people that I want to stay in connection with and you just yeah. sort of casually connect with them. Everybody's different. Um, as far as 
how much they use LinkedIn or the design, the the interior designers, the builders, the architects, you know, residential architects are always on Instagram. It's a great way to interact with them and let them know that you are following their projects and you're interested in their projects. Um, I always say that everybody should every Monday morning you, and I'm, and I don't do this all the time and I should and so practice. It's like, do what I say, not as I do, but you should have three or four people in your database where every Monday, maybe you just send them an email and say, Hey, was thinking about you today. Just wanted to let you know, saw this, saw that. It's not obviously the same people every Monday. It's like Monday, I'm going to pick these five people. And the next Monday, I'm going to pick these five people so that you're constantly at some point in your week, reconnecting with your, with your network. And then, so you have that second meeting and then you're back to data again, right? Cause now you've gathered more information. You, right. you, you have to update your CRM again after that second meeting. Yeah. I mean, hopefully you've talked about new things. You've figured out how you can help each other. You know, you offer to help in that meeting say, is there anything I can do for you? What could I help you with? You know, Gary Vaynerchuk always says, give, 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 then ask. Yep. And I try and it, there's a, reciprocity reflex with that as well, where when you help people, I mean, it's just in our human nature to want to help back, you know, and I've, I've proven this over and over again in my own networking where, where I've given without concern for what I'm going to get in return, where I just want to help somebody else in their relationship. It has never not helped me somewhere down the line. So going into networking without your hand out you know, not going there saying, what am I going to get out of this? Like that is a horrible way to, to enter any relationship. What am I going to get? It shouldn't be first. What can I give? Because maybe it's just like, maybe they just need a connection to someone else, or maybe they just need advice. Maybe they just need someone to hear them, you know, talk about something, you know, whatever it is, they won't forget that you were there to help them. And I, I do believe in the reciprocity reflex that people will want to help you in return. Yeah, I, 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 and I've seen it. I agree. That's I, I live my whole life that way. And and every every podcast, I end the podcast with love, learn, share. Those are mm. my, my three rules in life. And I'm trying to get everybody to to learn those rules and execute on those rules. You know, love is to care for one another. Learn is to learn as much information as you can and then share it with everybody you know. Right. Um, and you build relationships by doing that. And, and uh, that has worked for me. The more I give, absolutely. The more I give, the more I get in return, because people see that authenticity and that sincerity of wanting to help other people and people want to help you because you are helping others. And so they can help you help others. And it's, it's all sort of this, this process that goes over and over and over again. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, it's worked for me time and time again. Um, I mean, the story about when I picked up the phone and called everybody in my network who were like, oh, I'll, I'll refer Chris to this job and this job and that job. It, it, it was because we had had a, literally a symbiotic relationship for how many years? Like I'd given them information. I'd made introductions for them. They'd made, we had a very much a give and take um, relationship in the sense that we didn't keep score. But we were always there. All those people, I was always there for them for whatever yeah. they whatever they needed. And mostly it was like information because I'm like so into information and data holding, yeah, yeah. you know, analytical data and everything. It's like I love analytical data. <laughs> yeah, and and being able to take that data and help other people is is fuel for you, right? I mean, that's that's yes. what, you know, if yeah. the, to have that data is great, and to sort of look at it and say, well, this is great data. But if yeah. I can take that data and I can leverage it to get somebody else 
one step higher. Exactly. I love that. That makes me exactly. happy. It makes me continue to want to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And people say to me when I give speeches or, you know, I have the video series that I release every other week, like they're, they say, are you afraid you're giving away too much free information? And I was like, no, no, because I know when I gave a speech to a hundred women the other day, five of them have already emailed me and been like, this was the best thing I've ever seen. How can I help you? How can I repay you? And I'm like, just be good at doing the things that I've told you to do. I'm sure at some point, maybe in a year or two years or three years, I, I'll be able to call on you and you're going to be like, I'm going to do whatever that girl needs yeah. because I helped you first. You know? Yeah. So, so we so you build this, this network now of trusted relationships, people mm -hmm. who really know you, you know them. So what's sort of the long-term strategy for this? Because I mean, you can keep making those touch points and you can yeah. keep following up. And is there a strategy after this point? Is there another step beyond this that you're just continuing to build this, this network? But is there, yeah. is there some sort of strategy long-term to continue to build these relationships with people? Um, well, I think at some point relationships become their own animal. Like you are now in a relationship with some, like I have a lot of people where in the industry where I have a relation, I built the foundation of that relationship and I am happy and feel okay with my ask. So with the people, with the builders that I'm, I'm really close with and who haven't worked with my husband's farm, I'll say to them, we really want to work together. Like, obviously we have the same, thoughts about how to work together. We have the same values as far as like how to treat clients and, and how to treat your partners. Like we really need to find a project to work together on. And usually it happens. Um, you know, in our industry, people normally ask for three names. Oh, do you have a name of an architect? And they'll gather three names. Well, if, if they asked five people and your name came up with every five people, like, that puts you ahead. Like, so it's, it's the being able to build a relationship and where you can say, I, I would love to work with you. And the other person wants to work with you as well and does whatever they can to have your name on their lips. And, and I get it too, in my business, when people call me and say, are we here? You're the person we need to work with for business development. And I said, well, how did you hear that? They said, well, we made three phone calls and everybody said you <laughs> like, that's powerful. Yeah. And the more people say your name, the, the greater the chance that you're going to be the one to get the work, but also think about who you would partner with. Like, there's a lot of design build opportunities around here. Um, like we're not one firm is design build. We're, you know, a builder and architect come together and building relationships where the, the builder or the architect says, I want to go all in on this project with you. Like we do that a lot where they're not even entertaining other architects. They're just choosing us. Um, and that is just bred out of mutual respect for, and of what each firm does and how they treat their clients and how talented they are, but also how much time has been invested in the relationship without my handout. Yeah. Yeah. The relationship is so important. I, when, when I, uh, speak with my clients and they're looking for contractors and they want to sort of pick their bid list or they're looking to hire a contractor to work with, um, you know, I give them the whole list of requirements that they need to meet. And then I say, you need to talk, you need to meet with them and you need to have conversations with them and spend some time with them because mm -hmm. the relationship is the most important part of this, of this process mm -hmm. that yes, you can find a talented contractor and you know, they can do a great job and they're, and, you know, they're not going to nickel and dime you. Yes, that's all great. But if you don't have that connection with them, if you don't have yeah. some sort of relationship with them, 
it's going to be a very long year with them having yeah. breakfast with you every morning when they show up with their trucks. Yeah. That connection, that relationship that you have is so important in, in that. And, it's, and I think that works in business everywhere. You want to work with yes. people that you like. Um, and, yes. and that's one of those three, like, you know, like trust. No, and, like trust. And one thing we haven't hit on, in, and we could do a whole other podcast on this, is empathy. And being empathetic to not just what your client's going through, but the, the trials of everybody you're working with. I think my business development uh, attitude changed when I started asking. So now, now you got to understand, like I was going after large scale work, you know, 20 to $100 million projects on large campuses. And when I st- really started calling the people that I wanted to do work with, director of facilities, vice presidents of capital, capital planning, and really understood what their day looked like how many people were vying for their attention every single day and what was on their plate every single day. And the fact that my email asking for a meet and greet was probably the 150th email they'd gotten before noon. When I really started understanding and had empathy for just how busy each and every person I was trying to do business with, it changed the way I reached out to them. It wasn't so much like I need a meet and greet. It was so much, it was about I've done all of this research. I know what you're trying to accomplish. How can I help? And I think because I'm married to a residential architect, we've owned five homes and we've renovated them all. And I know what it's like to live in a gut reno. So at that point, my attitude towards everybody's home we were working on changed. And when when a homeowner would come in frazzled for their project meeting, I, I said, I could be able to say, I know, I hear you. I know what it's like to be in your bathrobe when the construction guys show up. And I cried in my kitchen covered with like nothing just to the studs saying, I just want them to leave. I don't want them to be here today. Yeah, you know, yeah. I under empathy, like it cannot be the value of empathy in and not like this sort of blanket, oh, I understand. You, Unless you really talk to them, you don't understand. Saying I understand is just as good as saying I don't hear you. You know, you really have to get at what each potential client and each client is going through every single day and really understand it from that standpoint. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, so let's, we're going we're gonna to wrap things up. And before I ask that one final question, I want to mm. just sort of talk about because most of the people listening in today are, are very small firm owners. Uh, many of them are residential. Um, I want to go back to that first step of room and people. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to just sort of um, give them some, yes, networking events is one of those rooms and those people yeah. are in those networking events. But, but you know, your kid's nursery school is one of those rooms and those people. Mm-hmm. Your, yes. your high school, um, the, the parents of your, of your kid's high school kid is yes. another one of those rooms. Yes. Um, Facebook, your Facebook group, the people who, who you're connected with in Facebook is another room and yeah. the people within that room. You could also build uh, Facebook groups, which are super powerful, mm-hmm. um, uh, that are dedicated to your your audience that, you know, if you're serving residential architecture, pick something specific about residential architecture, build a group around that Mm -hmm. and people will come to that group and join it. And then that becomes another room full of people who you can build relationships with. Mm -hmm. Are there any other sort of specific places that, that our community should be looking at for, for rooms and people uh, that they can sort of start this process with? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there. 
everybody can, you can network anywhere. Hmm. You can network on a, on a chairlift at the mountain when you're skiing on the weekends, you know, just because the venue isn't a structured networking event doesn't mean you're not allowed to tell people what you do or ask people what they do and ask how you can help them. I had to give a speech to 2000 female lawyers who were all mothers um, a couple months ago and I'm not a mom. So I was very nervous about this speech. And so I called up all of the, the heads of lawyers firms here in Boston and asked to speak to the principals, the female principals. And over and over again, they said, don't be afraid to tell people what you do. So if you're in a, you're a dance mom or you're a soccer mom or whatever, don't be afraid to let other people know what you do because you could literally be on the sideline of a soccer game for three years and nobody has any idea what you do. And you know what they did? They hired another architect because they don't know what you do. So Good talking about what you do is not beating your own chest. It's actually just letting other people know what you do and what you're passionate about, along with all the other things that you're passionate about. We spend half, you know, more than half of our lives at our jobs. So it is, even though at the beginning of the podcast, I said, talk about other things. It's okay to talk about other things in a room where everybody knows what you already do. But if you're in a room where nobody knows what you do, it's okay to have that conversation about what you do and the problems that you have solved for other people, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. It's super, super powerful. I, this has been a fantastic conversation. I love having this conversation. I really enjoy speaking with you before we wrap up here. I want to ask you the one question that I ask Mm. everyone. What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I'm going to say two things. One is I have to say network because that's what I do. It has literally, I've built two businesses off the power of my network and I'm so proud of it. So build genuine relationships. Is there, is there one specific call to action that you should have them do today? What, what should somebody do today to start that networking process? Sure. If, if you are nervous about building a network and you don't know where to start, look at your existing network. Just write down the people who you are in your existing network, who you've worked with and who knows you and the value that you bring to your projects, call them, reconnect with them, and then ask them who else you should connect with. Yeah, that's very good. Very good. So what's your your second one? Don't be afraid of your competition. I am friends with a lot of the people who compete against me in in my space and also residential architects. I don't have any space in my network for not being friendly or building relationships with my competition because you never know where they're going to be. People move around so much. Somebody who's an architect right now might take a job as an owner's project manager and be in a position to hire you in two years. So don't be that person who won't build a relationship just because somebody has a competing firm against you. We're all in this together. Rising tide lifts all boats and there's enough work for everybody. 100%, (laughs) 1000% agree with that. That, that you yeah. should share your knowledge with everyone, including your competition. I don't think you should share all the you know, intimate details <laughs> of your process, but, but you should be having conversations with the people that you're competing with because you will learn so much. Mm-hmm. And, if you, and if you take the step and offer information that they don't expect you to offer, they will reciprocate and they will, exactly. offer, they will, they will send that information right back to you. And now you've exactly. both become more powerful. You've both- and also, you know, work comes in the door and it's not the right fit for us. They've heard our name multiple right. times, but they want us to do a project. And you know what? It's not a good project for us. 
we need to point them in the direction of right. another architect. So it makes us all look good. So that don't, don't not build relationships with your No, clients. 100%, 100% agree. So you can learn more about Julie at her website, Julie Brown BD, as in business development. So juliebrownbd.com. Go check that out and go say hello. Um, you can connect with Julie all over social media. We'll put all her social media on the show notes. The show notes for this episode, this is episode 271. So it's entrearchitect.com slash episode 271. Julie, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really enjoy this. I, I hope you'll come back and and sort of uh, go to the next step because there's lots so of too. information that I'd like to to keep asking you more and more, converse, uh, more, and more information here. So um, before we wrap up, I know that you do workshops and mm -hmm. do speaking. And so if there's anybody who's interested in sort of connecting with Julie about doing a workshop at your company or in personally at your firm um, or a speaking event, how, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Um, I would say the best way to connect with me is just to email me. I have a form on my website, but honestly, I prefer like the personal somebody sending me an email. And so my email is Julie, J-U-L-I-E at JulieBrownBD.com. All right, cool. So Julie at JulieBrownBD.com. All right, we'll put that on the show notes as well. So Julie, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you for having me. The link to share for this episode is entrearchitect.com slash episode 271, 271, entrearchitect.com slash episode 271. Please share that with your friends. Post it on LinkedIn, post it on Twitter, post it on Facebook, share it with a friend, email it to somebody, maybe two, whomever. That's how we are growing the Entree Architect podcast every week because you, my friend, are sharing this episode every week with this link, entrearchitect.com slash episode 271 for this one with Julie Brown. I thank you for that. If you are attending AIA conference in Las Vegas this June, I want to meet you. Come hang out with us. We are having a live uh, meetup on Thursday, June 6th. We are having our fourth annual small firm meetup in collaboration with our friends over at Charette Venture Group live in Las Vegas. Whether you're going to the conference or not, this is the event where Entree Architects come together, hang out, have a good time, meet one another face to face. It's a great time. We've been doing this for a long time. We've actually been doing this for more than four years. This is the fourth year we've been doing it in collaboration with Charette Venture Group. Uh, always, always a good time. Um, this is the annual celebration of small firm architects. It is the only celebration that I know of, of the Entree. Well, it's definitely the only Entree Architect celebration, but this is our community. So come hang out with us. Tickets are free, but you have to reserve a ticket to show up because they won't let you in the restaurant without it. Go check it out at entrearchitect.com slash meetup for all the information and to reserve your free ticket, entrearchitect.com slash meetup. And if you are an entrepreneur architect who runs or owns your own small firm, is that you? Yes. Then you are an entrepreneur architect. You're an entree architect. And I encourage you to go build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, share. Those are the only three rules you need to learn, to learn in life to make the world a better place. Love, learn, share. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.